Welcome to the latest episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only Edderall podcast bidding death to the Jews. The fuck? No, we don't. Mate, can you go back to Mitchell Pierce for me and just tell him these Hitler quotes aren't working for us? We don't anymore. Thanks. My name is Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be discussing how the Tigers will fare in 2020, Kevin Walters' impending unemployment, Mundine's expert medical advice, as well as Adam O'Brien's strange culinary metaphors. But first, I'm joined in the coronavirus quarantine centre by the only man who loves fresh organic meat so much he's taken to slaughtering cows in his bedroom. It's Andrew Risotto. Welcome, mate. Good to be here, Eamon. Now, mate, um, this slaughtering of meat in your bedroom, has that effectively turned your room into an abattoir? It has. Um, um, to give you a bit of background, I started this practice after eschewing another potential idea um, that, I, that I read off Mitchell Pierce's uh, page. It was a great quote from uh, Kobe Bryant. It's not for me. I've tried human flesh and it's too salty for my tastes. Apparently, Kobe Bryant said that, according to Mitchell Pierce. Well, that so sounds I very thought, bloodthirsty. I thought, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like to see what the fuss is about, but I don't want human flesh either, so I just thought I'd slaughter my own fair enough own and beef. i know mitchell yeah. pierce is certainly a guiding light when it comes to quotes so i'm sure it's a good thing yeah. to do Just, um has it really put a crimp on your foreplay though because i'd imagine the gushing blood from a bovine would definitely get rid of my erection let's put it that way i mean everyone has their kinks and uh <laughs> well, <laughs> well they said about that better well i hope your missus runs from you quick smart mate if that's your kink now it's funny you mentioned that mitchell pierce stuff mate because obviously uh, he made a bit of a gaffe during the week and it's, it's funny because the quote itself seemed quite banal, didn't it? I mean, it did turn out to be from uh, Robert Mugabe, not a nice guy. But the quote itself could be seen as something quite poetic, something quite benevolent. Mm. Obviously, it wasn't. But it just got me to thinking that there are some dictators around the world who actually have said nice things on the record. Yeah, of course. We've seen a few famous ones that have done the rounds, like... Pol Pot, you know, saying that what he did, he did for his country, by itself sounds fairly benign, but mm. in the context of murdering, you know, countless people, probably less so. Yeah, it's a ledger. You have to kind of draw <laughs> up the balance sheet. And, so, uh, you know. Um, and, and that's an interesting point about Pol Pot as well. I don't know this, but Pol Pot, uh, he used to take to helping little old ladies cross the street. In the middle of his dictatorship, he used to do that. Sure, he used to throw them into one coming traffic. <laughs> I knew that was coming somehow. <laughs> I mean, it's still an interesting yeah. fact. You can't deny this is, it. This is true. Now, look, we're going to dive into some rugby leagues, Xander, and uh, we're starting the show with news that the Melbourne Storm and the West's Tigers have entered into a weird sort of wife swap situation. No, Craig Bellamy isn't literally allowing his wife to fornicate with Madge. Rather, the clubs have decided to let Paul Moborowski and Harry Grant be swapped for the 2020 season before potentially returning to their original clubs from 2021. Now, this is a very odd move, Xander, but being an odd show, uh, we once discussed this one not so long ago. For those who missed it, this is what Xander had to say about the concept of player swapping late last year. Like, if you use this strategically, you could theoretically stuff with other teams. Like, I mean, if, if say, the Roosters had, like, the, the buy and decided to just lend out Cooper Cronk 
like I don't know to a side that were about to play the storm, just to see if they could stuff 100%. them. You know what I mean? Like that must happen in the English Super League. Yeah, I, I would assume so. But it, you know, they're like, yeah, fuck it, we'll take Cooper Cronk for a week. I'll tell we you play what, the- that's very Machiavellian, isn't it? There's a whole new level of strategy there, yeah. wouldn't you? Like you, <laughs> Titans are playing the Storm, and you don't want the Storm to win, so you make the eight. So you just give them the entire Roosters first grade team. <laughs> Now, mate, uh, having listened to that, you weren't a big fan back then, but could this work out for either the Tigers or the Storm, you think? Yeah, so I think it's probably worth saying the way we spoke about it was a version of this that doesn't resemble the case that the Tigers and the Mm. uh, Storm have worked out. I wouldn't say we were being silly about it, but we were certainly presenting scenarios that weren't very realistic. Well, we we presented some scenarios that weren't realistic, but the the general nub of the point, as you, you, you heard, is that, you know, clubs might manipulate this, but it was based on that idea that, you know, you could lend a player or two for a couple of games in the middle of the season, which is kind of the, mm. the sense we got from the, you know, the UK system that this was being taken from. But in this case, you know, given that they're they're trading players for an entire year mm. um, in positions that make a, a lot of sense for both of them, it actually makes a lot of sense, right? Like it, this, it's the perfect scenario, isn't it? I mean, I wasn't a fan of this idea either, but it just I had had a look into this and I wanted to be critical. But honestly, this is definitely, in my opinion, going to benefit both the West Tigers and the Melbourne Storm. Now, West Tigers, arguably, especially after the recruitment of Joey Leilua, they have a bit of a surplus in the outside backs. Momorowski's a decent player. He's going to get better. Um, But on the other side of the stakes, you've got the Melbourne Storm, whose outside backs ranks are starting to thin out a little bit. So it's this perfect swap scenario where... Both clubs are just looking to get through 2020. They're not looking for necessarily anything longer term out of each of each of these players. Now, Zander, I don't know a whole lot about this kid, Harry Grant, but what I do know is he starred for the Storm's feeder side, the Sunshine Coast Falcons, in the Intrust Super Cup, apparently claiming the club's best and fairest. So he's definitely, uh, he's not a shit player by any means. And the Tigers are lacking a hooker with the retirement of Robbie Farrer. Just seems like a perfect marriage to me. Like you, I think I came into this when I saw the headline, thinking oh, this is going to be a disaster. Everything mm. we've we've uh, worried about is going to come true. But you know, a year uh, contract—it's it's basically just like a full contract anyway. I mean, it's mm. just, it, and and they're they're players that will benefit both will benefit from the opportunity, whereas otherwise they would have been wasted in reserve grade effectively. So, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm all for it, actually. I, I um, eat my hat. I'm actually I'm waiting for you to literally eat your hat. Um, that's something I want to see you do live in the studio. And I don't want it to be just any hat. I want it to be a wide-brimmed sombrero, which I think would be fitting for the Roosters fan. <laughs> Nacho sombrero. Is there a chance here? I always think about the human element of these kind of lofty ideals, Xander. And I guess for me, is there a chance that players after a year might become emotionally attached to these clubs? Is there a danger, for example, Harry Grant has a blinder of a season, breakout year for the West Tigers, mm. and goes, I don't want to fucking go back. We had a great year here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for a full-year contract, absolutely. And that was the other thing that immediately jumped out to me was that the clubs will feel the same way, right? So, you, mm. you know, you can imagine them negotiating releases, uh, early releases from contract if it works out that well. Yeah. In which case, though, it's it's kind of a bit of a risk mitigation tool for the clubs too, though, right? I mean, like it, they get to test a player out and have them you know, mm. become comfortable with them. It works both ways. It's, it's bad for you if you, you lend a player that, you know, ten, turns out to be an absolute superstar and then you end up short in that position. Yeah. Um, you know, but they're that- great the other scenario, isn't it? And you go, oh, I think this kid's going to be all right. Turns out it's Ben Roberts. And you go, yeah. thank fuck I made him play for someone else because he's <laughs> awful. Yeah. 
So it could definitely work the other way too. This is, this is true. There are drawbacks. <laughs> now, uh, what if Harry Grant, mate, plays out of his socks and the Storm just say, thank you very much, we'll take him back right now. Thank you. Because is there a chance that he can just go, they can break the contract at any time and go, wow, actually, we didn't know he was that good. Mm. I want him fucking right back here right now because Momorowski, he's missing goals, according to Instagram. I don't know. Can they do that if they've, if they've got a deal to to loan them? Can they can they renege midway through? Mate, I don't do research on the show. <laughs> I just pose questions. I, I would assume that um, the uh, you know maybe maybe they just don't let him out of the training sheds at West. I don't know. Now on the other side of the coin, we know the outside backstocks for the Storm have been thinning faster than Prince William's scalp. So Momorowski going now sounds like a great move, Xander, to chalk up that little bit of deficiency. How do you rate the man affectionately referred to by Roosters fans as Kerry Chikorovsky? Uh, because of obviously his Russian-sounding name, and he used to have the sidestep defence the same way she would sidestep an energy policy, <laughs> uh, which was an odd fucking jibe, I thought, from footy This players. is a very niche joke you're making, mate. Just going to say that. <laughs> Wait, um, I, that's my middle name. Uh, joke. I... <laughs> No, Momorowski, um, I had a lot of time for. I mean, he, he was really uh, good for us at the back end of 2018. Mm. Um, you know, like stood out, I think, in a couple of critical games during the finals and, and Robbo was... Yeah. Remember know, the big preliminary final that he played against Souths? Yeah. And he did well. He scored a try yeah. and he defended his heart out. And yeah. I'll never forget this because um, he went and basically crowd surfed with his mates after the game. He was that excited. And it was like, well, mate, that's your only game for us. Uh, yeah. It's not like you're playing next week, but he was extremely <laughs> yeah. excited. And then very quickly we punted him to another club. So I did wonder if that celebration was a bit premature. Well, I mean, you know, he's, he's done all right at it ultimately, right? So, he has. I actually know. rate him. I yeah. think he's very good. Now, we did also put this out to Twitter, Xander, which we never do. And we asked our Twitter listeners, which club will benefit the most from the Paul Momorowski harry Grant swap? What do you think the results were? I mean, somehow I, I suspect uh, uh, Wests will be the ones considered to benefit the most because, frankly, you know, with the Leilua uh, brothers and the rest of it, nine is the, the position you'd want to be benefiting most from, right? Well, they do have a big deficiency there, and you are on the money, but it was close. 55.1% said it would be the Tigers, while 44.9% said it would be the Storm. So that kind of, I guess, yeah. uh, gives them some, us some validation, right, that both of these clubs are actually going to benefit from this situation. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting that that many people thought that the... Storm would, would benefit more. I mean, I guess it probably speaks to what people assume out of the Storm system, but maybe Momorowski becomes the best centre in the game within three months of joining the Storm. <laughs> well, I think it's refreshing that the Storm decided to just do a loan system as apart from straight-out theft uh, because they are known for, obviously, just stealing and pilfering Titles. from the West Tigers' oh, ranks. Yeah. Because, well, who have you got there? You've got uh, Josh Adokar came from the Tiger system. Um, Ryan Pappenhausen came from the Tiger system. Cora Beattie came from the Tiger system. They've basically been ripping them off for years. It's quite nice for them to do a inverted commas loan. <laughs> uh, well, whatever happens, Xander, I do hope the swap works out well for both clubs. But I'll leave the final quote to Benito Mussolini, who once said, Democracy is beautiful in theory. In practice, it is a fallacy. You in America will see so one day. Uh, Wait, wasn't that Kobe Bryant? (laughs) The Newcastle Knights coach, Adam O'Brien, was asked during the week what he had learned under the coaching regimes of Craig Bellamy and Trent Robinson. And in response, he had this to say. Craig's greatest strength is he's very clear on expectation. So he gets you to understand what he expects of you but then he allows some space to actually teach you and develop players to be able to do what's required. Whereas Robbo, he'll outthink you and outsmart you. Robbo's one of the smartest men I've ever met. 
He's got that tactical skill element to create teams that'll hurt you at any moment with a bit of brilliance. One's a schnitzel and chips, and the other's fine dining. But they're both a great feed. My question first up to you, Xander, is, is it bad to be compared to a schnitzel and chips? I'm assuming I'd rather be fine dining. No, you know, I mean, I, I love this quote because it is, it is one of those things that um, it, 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 spe- it speaks to a very basic sensibility and communicates the point perfectly because, mm. you know, like you don't always feel like a five-course degustation, you know, at a five-star restaurant. Sometimes you do just want a good schnitzel and chips. Yeah, in fact, I don't um, know if I've ever had a very high-class five-course <laughs> degustation, to be so, honest. You know, yeah, they have their place, is his point, and they, mm. you know, they, they provide you with different types of satisfaction. Well, who is who in this metaphor, though? I'm assuming Bellamy's that Bellamy's clearly the schnitzel and he's chips. He's got to be the schnitzel <laughs> and read, chips. Read the so article, it's, it's obvious. He talks about, you know, blunt force and consistency and all these. Mm. That's a schnitzel and chips. But he's been called fine dining... A potential euphemism for being a wanker. That's the way I see I, it. I, I, I don't. I don't think I want to I be called fine dining. Maybe because I'm an eastern suburbs wanker, I didn't see it that way. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, potentially. Just on the subject of coaches, and obviously Adam O'Brien comparing Bellamy to Robbo, it got us at the show to thinking who we thought was the better coach. And I'm going to put it to you, Xander. Between Bellyache and Robbo, who do you think's the best? Put your fucking bias aside for mm. a second. And tell me who you think's the best and why. What do they both bring to the table? I think, um, I actually think uh, O'Brien sums up pretty well. If you, I mean, you know, we don't personally know them, mm-hmm. but um, having observed their style over the years, you, you can you can see that Bellamy provides a structure and a discipline that will get the best out of teams and also sort, you know, the. The wheat from the chaff? Yeah, the wheat from the chaffs. He also tends to zap people on the balls with a taser gun. And we discussed that last week. That fucking gets heaps of performance out of players. That's true. I mean, you know, having a taser to your testicles likely Mm. to be a motivator. So he brings a lot of that out of it. And, um, you know, and. I'll fuck your sperm up, mate. I'll (laughs) fuck your sperm up unless you defend it right centre the way I told you. I think of it more as a, a serene slasher film in a lot of ways. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, judging from your earlier comment, foreplay. Um, <laughs> what can you do? So we also put this one out to Twitter, and we actually threw in a few more candidates. And this one went mental. So I actually want to read out some of the comments below here. But we asked who everyone thought their best rugby league coach of all time was. And the four candidates we put forward were Trent Robinson, Craig Bellamy, Wayne Bennett, or Jack Gibson. Now, I will say this. I copped a lot of abuse for putting Trent Robinson in there, who I will say, as a spoiler alert, trailed badly <laughs> on the poll. We had 700 votes, which is probably our record uh, for a poll being put out there. I guess because it's an actual legitimate question, Xander. Normally put questions out there mm. that don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but Craig Bellamy won a very narrow contest. He got 32.8% of the vote. Really? Very closely followed by Wayne Bennett and Jack Gibson, who both got 28%. Uh, Robbo, 10.4%, trailed quite badly. But look, he's still young. He's got time to catch up. He is. Um, now, lots, most of the kind of rhetoric coming back at us uh, were from people who were very angry we didn't include Tim Sheens, who I think you're There's right. There's a case for Tim Sheens. There's definitely a case yeah. for Tim Sheens. You can't put everyone in there. Yeah. And Warren you Ryan, get, the walk, would yeah. be the other one as well. You get four spots. No, I mean, it's it's the knock on Robinson is that, yeah, he's been operating for seven years and he's had a, a great roster to work with. So, you know, he's won two titles and Cooper Cronk was pivotal in both of those mm. back-to-back. So, you know, fair, but he also, like, he engineered that situation. Um, 2013, you know, did it with a side that has since gone mostly to Newcastle and not performed. <laughs> that's right. And well, that's a really interesting point, right? It's hard to measure coaching success mm. or talent 
without kind of putting in the same variable and the same equation, the, the cattle that mm. they had to work with. So when you're looking at a lot of those coaches, mm. a lot of them had amazing teams. Yeah, so that, the, the Bennett question surely comes up then, right? I mean, yeah, you won, what, seven titles or six or seven? Yeah, seven. Um, I don't know. I'll check with Mitchell Pierce. <laughs> no, he's only giving me Mussolini quotes. Sorry, go on. <laughs> so, but, you know, like, I mean, he did it with a Broncos side that was basically the Queensland side. And apart from that, he, he won that one title with a very star-studded uh, St. George team in 2010. And, you know... Well, this is my counterpoint. I agree with you on the Brisbane Broncos front, hmm. but that St. George Illawarra team was not star-studded. Not in my opinion. That was the, the greatest acid test for how good Wayne Bennett is was what he managed to do with the St. George Illawarra Dragons. I thought that that St. George side was the end of an era where they had been perennial underachievers and they were always destined for great... Like, throughout the entire noughties, St. George were destined to win one because they had, you know, like, Gaznier and all of these guys who were were considered, like, uh, world-class players, a lot of origin regulars, and and they just never got anywhere, so they just needed a coach who could pull them together. And I always felt that they were the culmination of a disappointing error that finally achieved something. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Mm. But the funny thing but is... I, know, by, I take your point. By, by 2010, yeah. I think they had waned. Yeah. Excuse the yeah. pun. Um, but I think they had. <laughs> they waned. I think for waned a few years way earlier, the they were more primed yeah. about four or five years earlier to win a title. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I think mid-noughties in particular, everyone mm. was kept expect, expecting the Dragons to win a title. Yeah, and then the Tigers came out of nowhere mm. and blew them away in 05. I think that was the year they were probably really expected to win it. And so you had some plays in there, and I always think about this. Wayne Bennett coached that team in a different way that he coached mm. that star-studded Brisbane Broncos team, right? Because he didn't have to really do a lot of coaching. He malmeningered it. I think you can almost phone it in when you have the likes of uh, Darren Lockyer, Alan yeah. Langer, Kevin Walters, Gordon Tallis, Wendell Saylor, Lottie Takiri. You just go, just play, just win. But that's some George Illawarra team. You would have actually a lot of strategy would have went into that. And if you watch that grand final, unfortunately, we were in it and we lost. But I mean, as a, as a season, that Dragons team, no offense, Dragons fans, but it was definitely one of the most mundane mm. premiership winning team I've ever seen. They played percentage footy. It was very they workmanlike. Gra- exactly. Yeah. They ground yeah. away. It was all, yeah. And he won a comp yeah. and he knew their limitations. This is my point. He went, I don't have the superstars anymore, so I'm coaching this team to their limitations. And to me, that's what makes Wayne Bennett a great coach. No, no, th- those are all fair points. Um, it's it's been it, it, that said. At the same time, it, it has been the only title still since. You know, that's that is now uh, over ten years ago. Got very close again with the Broncos in twenty fifteen, but he did. Yeah. On the topic of Wayne Bennett, we don't want to drift from this coaching uh, conversation too much. But breaking news today is he's been sacked as the England coach. Where do you sit on that? Because uh, I'm assuming. It was the right call because he didn't seem to give a shit, did he? So, so this is this is kind of why I, I, I'm always a little ambivalent about Wayne. He just does he does inexplicable shit, and I think he's been the the number of inexplicable things have been increasing over the years. And so maybe maybe it's one of those things. You know, they talk about genius as being something that you possess for a time, and maybe that he just doesn't have it anymore <laughs> because you know he he was picking second string Aussie uh, Aussie players out of position. You know, to play for Great Britain and England. I'll have you know, Blake Austin is a fabulous winger. Yeah, <laughs> like for fuck's sake, Blake Austin in the wing for England. How good was that as a move? Like just, you know, I mean, there were things like that, you just scratch your head and you think, not even just, I mean, it, on every level it's madness, you know. I mean, it's it's insulting to, to the English fans for yep. the first thing and, and their commentators who, who would argue that they have plenty more talent you could select. Totally. Um, he's not... He doesn't play in that position, and he's not that good anyway. So No, look, I actually don't 
I don't dislike Blake Austin. I think he's not a bad five he's eight. Not, he's not awful, but no, but he's definitely not. I don't think he's played wing before. Yeah, he's not. He's not a starting winger for you know. Anyway, so that, there are things like that. That so he's pissed off the yeah. establishment, and yeah. you think the sacking probably was just desserts. Yeah, and you know that Great Britain tour was an absolute debacle. Mm. Like I mean, you know, he he did he made those kinds of selections. You know, he had Jackson Hastings for Christ's sake. I know man, he had man a good, of steel. I know he had a good year, but he's not English. You know, use that use that selection policy for for um, the up and coming nations and and those that that don't have full time professional competitions with which to draw their their uh, national teams on. Mm. You know, fine. Like the 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 Pacific Islands, it makes a lot of sense. Th- those people tend to have still very strong connections to their their community and their family. I don't think Jackson Hastings <laughs> is eating black pudding with his you know great grandmother from fucking Bristol. Yeah, I don't think there's that same kind of cultural. No, tightness. it's it's you know. So it just the, like those things. I just kind of felt like. He didn't read the the um I think the the the, the mood of the game in England yeah. and he tactically they were just dumb decisions. Was it a fact he didn't read it or he just didn't give a shit? I always got the opinion that he was kind of just keeping his head around international football coaching for when that gig came up for either the Kangaroos or the Maroons. I think you're right, but I also think that he wanted to show Australia that he could like beat them and deserve the job mm-hmm. and. You know, he didn't succeed on that front. He got out coached by Mal Meninga and, um, you know, not exactly a genius, but he has man-managed and and simplified representative coaching in a a way that has obviously provided success. That's right. right? Although we did lose to a a nation of about... 10,000 people, didn't we? But so did everybody else. I know. They're a bloody good team. Great Britain lost and New Zealand lost. No, that's very true. you know, props to Tonga. Um, Well, well, look, I want to dovetail back because I want to get your opinion because I don't think we got it. Out of those four candidates for best coach of all time, who is your personal favourite? Jack Gibson. Okay, and and why is that? I think Jack Gibson had significant dominance across different teams and different eras in a way that... Everywhere he went, he brought success. Exactly, and I I don't think you can really say that for anyone else. Mm. I mean, you know, he went back to back with the Roosters in seventy four, seventy five, and then ten years later did three peat with um, Parramatta. Yeah, and you know, like there isn't that sort of you know, uh, uh, like he almost got Newtown to a premiership too, I believe. That's right, and um, and like Wayne Bennett, great era with the Broncos, and that that um, that title with St George, but that that sort of ability to string like. Sustained success with a couple of side, different yeah. sides in different eras. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think probably Jack Gibson is the right answer, at least for the moment. Unless Robinson does ten in a row, then he might swing me around, and I hope he does. But for what it's worth, Xander, my favourite coach of all time in reality was Jason Taylor, <laughs> a man who was not afraid to put his dick on the line for his club, and sometimes even his own face. Just ask David Fialogo. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Well, Anthony, the science guy mundane, is at it again, Xander. Fresh from urging the husbands of the world to shove their wives headfirst into a washing machine, this time the most high profile of Danny Green's punching bags took a cockeyed aim at germ theory. In the wake of the coronavirus outbreak, Anthony Mundine posted this online, and I quote, I don't even think this coronavirus is real. I think it's a ploy to give a mass vaccine. Look into it. Well, we did look into it, Xander, and after some pretty extensive and rigorous scientific research, the CSIRO confirmed to us directly that Mundine's out of his fucking mind. The question is here, how can Australia steer Mundine away from science? Where do you start? (laughs) 
Oh, just and it. I love this. For the listeners, you don't know this, but the, you know, a lot of the time we're taking the piss on the show. Xander is genuinely upset about this one. He fucking does not like Anthony Mundane. So I just wanted to give you that pretext before you proceed, Xander. Look, I don't dislike him as a human being, but this sort of shit just drives me fucking mental. Like it's just, it is on so many levels. It is, it is irritating to the nth degree. Like this, this genuinely irritates me because he is somebody of influence within his community. So there will be people listening to this yeah. or listening to this advice that he's giving. And, you know, we, whilst they're still trying to work out like just how dangerous this is, it's spreading a lot quicker than like SARS or MERS. Mm. And um, the mortality rate appears to be like relatively high, right? But look, your point is very valid because Australian scientists are working on a vaccine. They think they're pretty getting pretty close. But of course, if people listen to the likes of Anthony Mundine, they won't fucking take it. The, the mindset that he's come at this from, you know, there is no attempt, there's no concept of first principles here. Like, I mean, you, you need to... <laughs> You need to get to where these conspiracies are supposed to go. And this is what shits me about a lot of conspiracy theories is, <laughs> is, what is what is the end state that he's making this assumption on? And it just speaks to laziness on every level. Like he, he would rather not have to think about having to lift a finger to deal with a genuine crisis. So he goes to immediately, oh, well, it's a conspiracy and um, it's... Uh, do, you know, out to get me to do some harm. So therefore, I'll just ignore it and bag it, as yeah. opposed to actually taking an act to protect himself or you know provide awareness. So it's it's laziness on that level. And it's to your point there, though, right? This is why we take advice from medical professionals and not people who have literally been punched in the head thousands of times. Yeah, he's not he's not exactly somebody you really want to be getting too much uh, information from around a medical disaster. Exactly. Some... Like if your GP <laughs> had just suddenly been punched in the head 3000 times, you'd probably worry about taking a prescription from him. It's probably probably speaks to I was going to say it's it's lazy in terms of even just trying to think through where this like where you're supposed to uh, get to from this conspiracy, right? Like what mm. is the end state? So, okay. They've, he, he's, he's worked out that somehow this is a global conspiracy to get people to take more vaccines. People take vaccines all the time. If you're, if you're starting a conspiracy theory or, or a giant conspiracy theory to, to get people to take more vaccines, probably just put it in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the easiest you know, way to do like it. You don't, it? you don't try and convince people to do something they're ardently against anyway. They're probably just going to take their chances like the people in Samoa did. That didn't work out too well, by the way, Anthony. You <laughs> well, fuckwit. You, well, you know, Xander, um, as much as I agree with you, the man Mundine's not here to defend himself, so I'm going to let his words do that for him. Now, he's on the record. This is not the first time he said something like this, obviously, and he's on the record for saying this previously on Twitter. Don't vaccine your kids, period. I like the explanation point. That's why I screamed that. And by the vaccine way. your kids is just incorrect. The, the government bully you into vaccine. Do your research on the shit and watch the documentary Vaxxed. Now, is there nothing more compelling than getting a spurious scientific argument via a slab of fairly incongruous syntax? I mean, it was just poorly worded, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. <laughs> poorly languaged <laughs> it was just you know like as fuck we did i just yeah i mean you know where do you even start with it you know telling somebody to watch some bullshit fucking you know um uh like nonsense conspiracy video on social media you mm. know which is the, the like cesspool of misinformation and and fake like faked uh, data sets and all the rest well, of it. I totally agree with you. But actually the sentence itself the construction of it probably worries me even more if yeah, anything well, he should be doing research on 
having a stroke because I'm pretty sure he was having an aneurysm when he was trying to tweak that tweet. I think he probably could use a vaccine. Now, look, uh, like with everything, Xander, we put it out to Twitter. Um, <laughs> now, tell me if you what? think... How did you frame the question well, for this one? It's funny you ask that because I think this is the first time I've been pretty blatantly guilty of creating a leading question. And I asked, do you believe Anthony Mundine when he claims the 11,791 people who have so far contracted coronavirus are all lying? Not surprisingly, 80% said no. But there was still, worryingly, one in five people who said they believed him. That would be enough. That would be yeah. a critical mess to get us in deep in the shit. This, this, is, this, is, this is equivalent to the, the morons in the States who believe that there are crisis actors pretending to be uh, the families of dead school children who've been shot. Yeah, that's and right. And it, it's the kind of thinking like it is... Shout out to Chip Jones. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like finding out, for example... Uh, that uh, you know you'd been knocked in the head too many times. So instead of seeing a neurologist or a brain surgeon, you went to a used car salesman. <laughs> Do you think that someone like Anthony Mundine, well, specifically Anthony Mundine, should be deliberately exposed to the coronavirus, um, and then we make the nation watch it like some kind of macabre reality TV series? Well, yeah, it'd be interesting to expose him to it to just ask if he still thinks it's a hoax at the end of it. Exactly. So we, <laughs> you know, we like... watch him, we're watching him live yeah. physically deteriorate. I actually think it would outrate Origin. I think it'd be better. <laughs> but to be honest, I mean, we've kind of been watching him physically deteriorate for several years now. <laughs> Certainly mentally. I think I saw him physically deteriorate in the ring in his most recent bout. Now, if he had a reality TV series where he was exposed to the coronavirus, what would you call it? Because I've got some ideas. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm trying to spitball here, but... I now, I, I don't, they're not very good, so don't certainly don't set your standards very high. And you may not get a lot of these, because I know you don't watch a lot of reality TV, so these might go over your head, Zander, but we'll fire them anyway. Um, I've got infected at first sight, my kidneys drool, keeping up with the killer pathogens. <laughs> and this is my personal favourite, RuPaul's anti-drug case. <laughs> More after this. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, Xander, Queensland's State of Origin's assistant to the coach whisperer, Kevin Walters, will soon have his future decided by Queensland Rugby League. Walters has sought to have his contract extended as Queensland coach beyond 2020, and the question we're asking on the show today is whether or not Kevy should continue to be bashed mercilessly by a stone-looking Brad Fittler. I'm going to put that to you right now. Um, should Kevin Walters continue in the job? God, I hope so. And I think you're speaking as a, a New South Welshman there. Was it that, was it that <laughs> obvious? <laughs> or, or do you think he has any coaching credibility at all? I think... Because um, Queenslanders seem to like him. How can I put this politely? I think, I think Kevin Walters is a lovely bloke. Oh, that's the worst thing you can say about someone. It's like, going, do you think that person's smart? I think they're kind. Like, I mean, he genuinely comes across as, 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 as a top bloke, but... You know, a little bit like Laurie Daly comes across as a top bloke, you mm. know, in person, like, you know, when you, when you sort of... Until he acts him. like a cunt. Um, but is he cut out for that sort of cutthroat coaching game? I don't know. I mean, mm. it just, yeah. For me, he, he struck me as incredibly stressed. He looked very stressed during the origin period. And, and it was a very uh, strong contrast mm. between Kevin Walters and Brad Fittler, wasn't it? Because 
Brad Vittler is the antithesis of looking stressed. He's looking almost too relaxed. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he gets all that valuable energy from the the uh, the soil of the earth with his bare feet, right? That's so, right. You know, it helps yeah. calm him down. He diffuses that stress into into Mother Earth. That's right. And then he gets the whole team down to Bondi Beach and they nosh on some beach rocks and try to get the natural minerals. That's out right. Of those and seaweed uh, and, and well, no, it wasn't yeah, terrible seaweed. for your teeth, yeah. but great yeah. for your health. Gets him to drink seawater. Just, you know, yeah. brilliant stuff. But the messaging from the Queensland Rugby League, Xander, um, suggests Kevin Walters' job is going to be safe, with executives from within the organisation suggesting the Queensland side needs, quote, stability. Now, my question here is, is stability at origin level really what you want? Well, um, I mean, if they're, they're losing in a stable fashion... Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Origin is not like a club land, right, where you build this... Try to build a dynasty, you know, four or five years out. You have a three or four year long term plan. It doesn't cater for that. You just need to fucking win each year. Yeah, no, it's it's an odd. It's actually a really good point. Like, I mean, it it isn't it isn't like a, a club that is signing new players each year um, and uh, needing to provide a structure that is consistent and predictable that'll you know create routines for players that can perform week in week out. No. You are just pulling. You know, you you are basically pulling in. You know, the best of, that you can find available for. A very short period of time, and it kind of doesn't matter if the the coach of that side changes every year. Frankly, I mean, no, and all the fans care about is winning. Mm. This is just one of these unique contests where it's not like you know, if Queensland beat you three nil, you go, oh well, I'm sure we'll get them in 2024. We're building yeah. to something. You don't think like that at all. You just yeah. go, no, I'm fucking devastated. Each series is its own thing. Exactly. You, you, it's not. It's not a World Cup cycle. Exactly. <laughs> You're so building this, towards. So this unusual <laughs> yeah. concept of stability. It just yeah. seems unusual to me. And a guy, I guess it, it does draw us to the next question, which is how long is too long? How many losses can you sustain before you get kicked out? Now we already know he's he's two and one. He's lost two in a row though. Mm. I mean, you can't, as an Origin coach, surely stay after losing three in a row. Yeah, well, it'll be a test for the Queensland pick and stick philosophy, won't it? I think that's kind of where this comes from. Is that this? You know, it's it's almost like an identity thing for them, where they think mm. that they're the kings of pick and stick because they were able to for twelve years, but they've forgotten. We're going to stick with those nine immortals, <laughs> and uh, exactly fuck you, right. you disloyal south of the border pieces of shit. Exactly. I mean, it, it's we're not going to fucking dump Lockyer for Tom Moody. <laughs> we're not going to do it. <laughs> I mean, they, they really basically they tough, were, didn't they? They did, but you know, like they they weren't quite so loyal when they lost three straight back in you know two thousand and one to oh well, no, it was a two thousand and two to two thousand five, wasn't it? No, that's right. In fact, the pick and stick back then was very different. They get yeah. a stick and they'd kick the shit out of um, Daniel Wagon. Uh, so the stick was quite literal back then. And yeah, you know, I remember watching a couple of the like not too long ago. I saw on Fox League they had like back-to-back origin, you know, uh, replays from the, the early noughties. And it mm. was, like, the New South Wales back line with, with Gaznier and King, like, such a big centre pairing. And, like, they just used to monster Queensland. And yeah. you could see each series, it was they were chopping and changing like shit. That's right. I mean, there was that uh, 01 series, they came back and burned us. They put all those new kids in, which they had to do and ended up getting us. I don't know if you remember, 2000, mm. we won uh, in epic style. We set a record in game three. I yeah, think that's right. 50, over 50 yeah. points. And they actually came back and won the next year. It just yeah. shows you what Origin is like. And then they drew 2002 and then we beat them 3-0 the next, well, three in a row after that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that was our little mini dynasty yeah. um, up until poor old Hodgson's pass, which probably, I think we're shooting for four in a row at that stage. They, they, that's right. That would have been the first uh, Origin. It still to go, hurts me. I, I this, is the, this is what we, I was saying about Origin. The fact that that still hurts me, that yeah. pass, because 
I can think back to that moment and I remember my heart shredding into about nine, nine different I, I can still remember when uh, Queensland had finally... They, they won that game. We were at a bar in, mm. in Bondi, I think I think we were watching it together. Yeah, and there was this... this like one sole Marone who had his head down, the game was lost, the series was going to be four in a row, and they won it. And I still remember this guy just like incoherently rambling, Justice! Justice! So Mal Meninga was at the bar with us. Yeah, I don't remember him looked being a little there. like Mal <laughs> Someone who speaks of the same relatively but yeah, incoherence. It goes anyway. to your point, it, it definitely still hurts and irritates me. Before we go, we should go to social, and we asked our listeners... Who should the Queensland State of Origin coach be in 2020? The candidates were Kevin Walters, Mao Meninga, Wayne Bennett, or Paul the Fat Man Vorton. Who do you think won? Fatty Vorton? You know what? He came second. Is and that we'll, right? And we'll talk about that, but 46.3% uh, said it should be Kevin Walters. Uh, Wayne polled terribly, and Mao Meninga had about 20% of the vote. But Paul Vorton picked up a quarter of the vote. Is that right? I, I was saying it as a joke. No, and, and I've got to say, he's actually put his hand up yeah. to coach Queensland. And I hope they don't do it. I actually think that Paul Vorton could potentially be the Brad Fittler effect. I do think yeah. it's a different game. Yeah. It's about inspiring what the jersey means. Yeah. It's not been about no, you're right. technical. And I would seriously worry if they hired Paul Vorton. Yeah, you're right. I, I do think you, you know you hear him speak about his time in Queensland. He, he would be. I mean, he'd be similar to a Walters in a lot of ways, but I feel like he might have a bit more of an edge to him, actually. If anything, yeah, I do think that. I think Walters was obviously a great player, but yeah. as a coach, he just looks as though he's someone trying to be someone else. Yeah, and quite literally deferred to someone else last year he's, under the coach whisperer. Yeah, he's too nice a guy. I think that's a problem. Maybe yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you need to have a little bit of an edge here, yeah. like Brad Fittler. Like for Brad Fittler's a lovely guy, but he's he has he's, an edge. He has an edge and an intensity. He'll cut nine players yeah. if he needs to, yeah. and yeah, he did that. And that, that that's that is right, right? That is the difference between being an approachable, nice guy, who's a, but who's on a mission, and to just being a lovely bloke. Personally, I'd like to see the coach whisperer coach the team directly from this year and see him appoint Kevin Walters as his whisperer. I'd just love to see Kevy whisper in Stubbs' ear, you fucked me over, cunt. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, the ninth best team in the competition is looking to the 2020 season for much bigger things. And anybody who disagrees with me... You fucking piece of shit. So the question is, how are the West Tigers going to elevate themselves, Xander, into the final series? Now, I've already touched on Momorowski being moved down to Melbourne. Now, if social media is any guide, that's not going to help them this year. But what will 2020 bring that the past eight seasons wasn't able to, Xander? What makes them different this year? Or if anything... Well, I mean, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit uh, last week, didn't we? That they've, they've made a few good signings. It's actually a, a pretty good-looking um, roster they've got and this year. And quite recently, too. Yeah, I mean, like the, um, the, the, the player swap uh, situation we've just discussed, I think it's going to be a hugely beneficial one for them. Having a, yeah. Harry Grant from the Storm system, whilst he's, he's a new player, I think it's, it's quite... Um, there's a good raps on him, right? Mm. I think he's. I think he's going to be. A, a and they good need a fit. hooker. They yeah. desperately needed a hooker. So that that's a great positive. Um, they didn't really need Momrovsky after they uh, signed uh, the Lay Lua brothers. Like to be completely frank, and they've also got Adam Dewey from the Rabbitohs now. So they've got a, a like a, a really good um, like set of outside backs. And let's not forget the signing of Josh Reynolds' bail forms. It's technically a signing, mate. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Plenty of signings from the Tigers. So yeah. what you're saying is they've actually, for the first time, recruited in a way which wasn't completely deranged. Because yeah. that's what they've been accused of 
in the last five years. If you ask Tigers fans, and for whatever reason, I know quite a few, uh, the common criticism of the club is the fact that they tend to recruit players that aren't at their best for overs. Yeah. Right? And it just seems like, okay, you might be able to make some of the criticism for being overs, but at least this last flurry of signings, you know that it's talent. Yeah, like they're going to get talent out of this, and uh, and they've you know like Robbie Farah's obviously gone, um, you know uh, Ryan Madison's gone, but Ryan Madison, what um, Luciano is going to be a good fit for that uh, for him, you'd think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, they're going to miss Madison because Madison arguably had his best year last mm. year. He was playing well for the Roosters, but in a team of a pretty star-studded team, he took took a bit of a back seat role. Mm. He wasn't really particularly noticed. But when he came to the Tigers, uh, I think what we could see is someone who took more of a leadership position and actually was scoring a lot of tries. He was a senior guy in that Tigers team. So that was very unfortunate the way that all worked out. And I think it actually reflected pretty badly on Madison, to be honest. He asked for more money um, after like less than a season. And in the end, he ended up going to the Parramatta Eels. Good luck to him. I think he probably will have a good season there. But it left a bit of a hole in the second row. Mm. And as you said, I think Luciano Lalua will fill that hole. Um, they've also lost Erston, Erston Masters, uh, who's gone up to the Cowboys. He's not going to be a huge loss because I think his form tailed at the end last year anyway. He, he's a very classy player, mm. but he seemed unhappy. I don't really know what the story was behind the scenes. He wasn't playing with his a great deal of investment, so I think it's a good thing that he's actually gone, even though he's talented. Uh, they've also lost Ben Madalino. I think it was time for him to go. So for me, you know, you look at the the losses of your Farrows and your Madalinos. I think this is a bit of a rebirth period yeah. for the Tigers, and yeah. and I feel like this is the first time you're seeing a little bit more of Madge's team. Yeah, well, he's been in he's been in the saddle for a little while now, and he and he's been able to 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 run through and, and start cleaning out. I think people that didn't really fit his style mm. and and there are a lot of a lot of young fresh faces who have a lot of potential that he can mold and i think he kind of likes that and you got we haven't really touched on billy walters either who's who's come in also from the storm system yeah i don't know too much about him but <laughs> yeah, um a, i've heard some good raps on him though yeah lower grades mostly i think um, yeah. as a playmaker so plenty of yeah. these young guns coming through i actually think a big thing this year and it'll be interesting to see you know behind an improved pack of forwards and some sort of genuine strike in the outside backs well, I think this year is going to be a. Uh, we'll really get a good feel of how good Luke Brooks is. You know, Luke Brooks is one of these players that have had raps on him for quite a while, but you could probably argue he hasn't come to his full realization yet. And he has had a team of um, sort of, ch- of roster churn. There's been a lot of inconsistency. They lost their coach. There's a lot of excuses for him, but I think this year, with the um, Madge being there now for his second year and this recruitment phase. I think we're going to see the best of Luke Brooks. I certainly hope so, because he's a very talented halfback. We haven't seen the best of him. They have a squad now that he can probably build something with. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and it, the funny thing is, as much as they've recruited, um, according to the Tigers CEO, Justin Pascoe, they actually have a little bit more cap space to make one more giant purchase. Um, now, he's been on the record and saying they're not going to rush into anything. They're going to be patient, I think was the words that he used. But essentially, because they've got Parramatta might be paying a bit of Madison, and I think Canberra's paying a bit of Leilua, mm. uh, they've actually got a little bit more cap space than you'd think. So they could actually bring one more big strike weapon into this team. For you, if they could sign a type of player and you had a wish list, where do you reckon the Tigers need to buy? Yeah, I mean, uh, I actually sus- suspect they're probably still looking for a, um, a class fullback, to be honest. Okay, yeah. so at the moment uh, they've got little Corey Thompson mm. playing there. Poor old little Corey. 
he well, wants that number one. I, I mean, you know, he might prove us all wrong, but um, but you know, they were they were chasing uh, Latrell for a reason, right? So yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think that yeah, they they've got um, they've, they've they've got their their nine and uh, six and seven sorted out at this point. It's really you know, this, they're all quite young players. Yeah, but. Having somebody at the back that, that can really give them strike is probably the big you thing. You want a big strike, number yeah. one. Yeah. Well, the problem there is there's, there's not a huge amount of people on the market who fit mm. that bill. Yeah, they, it's there? a shame they lost we, Pappenhausen. I was, was going to say, <laughs> it's a shame other clubs stole them. <laughs> big shout out to James Tedesco. He had a great couple of years, mate. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, they have let a few of those guys slip through their fingers. And there's only so many of those gun number ones mm. floating around. But, look, I actually think that they're pretty well serviced in the outside backs. I think when I have a look at the balance of that Tigers team, for me, I want one or two class forwards mm. still coming in there. And I think they'd almost benefit from maybe a Canberra Raiders approach that where they've just raided the Super League for these great English forwards. Maybe they could get either one or two class English forwards and bring them out here. If they get a few more rugged players in that pack, suddenly they're going to be, for me, they're a genuine finals team. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point. I mean, I think they've tried to address that with... Like Luciano Lelua, and it's uh, it's it's something that that Madge prob- would speak to his style too. He did, you know, when he won with the Bunnies in 2014, it was on the back of English forward. You know, like they basically had half the England forward pack. In it, it was on the back of grievous bodily harm, yes. essentially, <laughs> wasn't it? He just assaulted the other team, and eventually, England walked over for a try. <laughs> that was kind of how they won the 2014 competition. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and they were brutal. And remember when he tried to enact that with future teams whose forward packs weren't quite as good and it just didn't work. Yeah, he kept trying to play the same season over again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can't keep replaying match. But this Tigers team is a very different composition. Um, now, I need to... Uh, my, my memory's failing me, but where did you have the Tigers finish when we did our ladder prediction? I think it wasn't very high. I can't actually remember <laughs> off the top of my head. Well, thankfully, mate, I have them here. Now, I had the Tigers finishing in 11th place. Um, this was before a lot of the flurry of signings, so I probably have them a little bit closer to the eight now. Probably ninth, now that I think <laughs> about it. Uh, where Xander, you had the Tigers finishing tenth, so we had them yeah, around around about yeah. the same time. Yeah. Um, do you, in the I guess full light of day and all, and with all those signings in mind, mm. would you change that now? Would you have them as a potential as a finals berth? Yeah, I mean, I, I could I could see them um, making the eight. Actually, to be honest, I, I don't think. You know, probably seventh or eighth. Would uh, the Tigers say they do finish ninth again? Would fans be happy with that? How long can you finish about ninth before you get really, really angry? Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, Tigers fans will start getting the shits. To be, to be frank, uh, like you say, you know, Luke, Luke Brooks is, is sort of due for a bit of a breakout year. Mm. With, with this could be. His, I think yeah. if there's going to be a year, it's going to be this year. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that. I think that. They need to make the eight to, you know, to really justify um, Major's approach. All of the spend. Yeah. Well, watch this space because I'm pretty sure uh, in the next couple of months they're going to make another big signing and that could change the game a little bit more. But look, we put it out to Twitter. We asked where will the West Tigers finish in 2020. Uh, 56.2% said they'd miss the finals. Uh, only 30% said they'd make the finals. 4.4% said they'd be premiership winners while close to 9% said they'd get the wooden spoon. So where that tends to be on the dial, most people think they'll finish between 9th and 12th. Now, Xander, you may not know this, uh, but only three quarters of our listenership are located in Australia. The voluntary tackle has grown to become one of this country's most lucrative international exports. 
And I thought we should dedicate a little bit of time on the pod today to let our listeners overseas know that we're thinking about them. We love them. We wish they could be closer so that we could all catch up for a beer. Well, maybe not all of them. Some might be terrorists, especially the ones in Afghanistan. So what I would say after proper screening checks, sure, we can all go for a beer. Uh, But I was thinking before then, uh, we could have a bit of a chat about how to make the show more appealing to each overseas market. How does that sound? Yeah, I'd I'd love to make it more appealing to, you know... Just any market. Any market, frankly. (laughs) Just to us, even. (laughs) One day we will listen. That's my that's my <laughs> ultimate aim. I'm also very disappointed in New Zealand, mate. I dug, I dug into the stats. Only 3% of our audience are from the land of the long white cloud. Um, a little bit longer now that that volcano went off. How can we win the hearts and minds of more Kiwis? Probably not with references to volcanoes that have just killed members of the population. Um, True. <laughs> but and did you know, it have to have a racist name? I mean, White Island. Isn't that just the worst <laughs> thing in the world? It is true. Um, I, Maybe we should bash the Warriors less. We do a fair bit of that. You know, but that is probably... Uh, it's all justified. Is justified, yeah. I mean, uh, New Zealand, it's an obvious answer. you just got to bring in more rugby union analogies and references, which I, I try I can't my best do it, at. Mate. I can't do it. I'd rather pretend Simon Mannering was a good player, to be <laughs> but honest. But, you know, that's, that's what I'm here for. I think though that 3% is purely down for the... Uh, to my random uh, <laughs> references to rugby union and All Blacks dominance. We actually have a big following in the UK as well. Uh, we have a, a quite a few people... Expats. <laughs> got a few people in the UK, a few people in Canada are actually listening to the potty. Ah, uh, Toronto Wolfpack fans. I, and maybe. I'm pretty sure they jumped on board after we started doing that Blackface Month. Do you remember that? It wasn't popular here, but apparently it was very big there. Just with uh, Justin though, right? Uh, no, I was wearing it out. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I'll tell you what, they were, they were really awkward train trips, um, but I'm glad I got through it. That was the main thing. You know thing. what? It's, it's an interesting question, the whole blackface thing. Not to go where, off on a tangent. Where are we going? Uh-oh. Not to go off on a tangent, but I don't, did you ever remember um, seeing that um, series with John Safran where he... Uh, Versus dr- God? No, well, not the versus God, but he had one on on racial. Um, oh, your race uh, relations. Race relations. Yeah, yeah, I do remember. And he had like a whole thing where he he basically was in blackface to try and experience what it's like to be a black person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now that was done in, in you know with with real, um, I think you know honest intentions, intellectual integrity, and and intellectual integrity. But now would that be considered? Politically incorrect? Is that something you couldn't get away with? Of course it would, because there's zero nuance left in the world. So intentions don't seem to really. I I wondered about that because I mean, you you do like there's a there's a I mean you know not to go off on a whole tangent here, but you know Trudeau like he he gave a a very long apology, Um, and I I did think at the time you know embarrassing, but he didn't kill anybody. Let's face it. no, I mean, not. I mean, you, are you proposing that we should have executed him? No, I wasn't. Um, but I, I think I don't some think people anyone, on Twitter were. I don't think that was really on the table, yeah. Xander, thankfully. Um, but no, I mean, I think the best thing about Trudeau was the fact that he was so incredibly left, and as it turns out, was routinely in his youth blackfacing it up. Uh, way more than the average person. I mean, I've got to tell you, as a non-racist, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm, I would consider myself, among many labels, a non-racist. It didn't even occur to me to be racist. I, that's how naive I was. Even if I was you, given you, the choice. You don't see race. <laughs> Can you tell what race I am? <laughs> I would have said you look, I've always said this, you look uh, half Swiss, half French. <laughs> or, or is that that uh, man in the street? And you're neither. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That man in the street once said, half breed. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think he might have even called you a half-cast, didn't he? No, he called me a half-breed. A half-breed. Yeah, I mean, let's face right. it, they're both offensive. 
It, it is funny though, the blackface thing. Um, we've gone off on a massive tangent. I feel like we could probably cut all of this. But anyway. Um, I'll keep some of it. Yeah. Uh, the, what, I, what I would say is that it's funny that it came out to begin with because I have to admit, you know, all jokes aside, it has never occurred to me to do blackface. <laughs> Just like, you know, you wouldn't wake up one day and go, hmm, I think I'm going to be Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Just like, Why? Anyway, I'm, I'm going to pretend just, to I'm going to pretend to like a guy called Andy Dufresne. So yeah, like I mean, I, I simultaneously think massive overreaction, but also why? But look, as you said, we were drifting, so we're going to go back to the rugby league. In fact, we're not even going back to league; we're going back to us. That's right, uh, because we're just discussing our different respective audiences overseas. So yeah, Canada, we need to cover more ice hockey. That's how we okay, more ice yeah. hockey. Potentially, we could smear our genitals in maple syrup and let a dog lick it off. I know they're big into that. No, I, I wouldn't recommend that. There was okay. a case of a man in the UK who did good oh, fall lost asleep. his knob, yeah, didn't he? That's right. Well, John Monaghan did it once too. He did. Yeah, I think he kept his knob. Yeah, he did, um, but unfortunately... And the dog. Uh, well, he kept the dog, although the dog was never the same after that facial. Um, so you have to be very careful about the way you do these things. We've had about 100-odd listeners in the last years, and uh, from Switzerland, uh, likewise the Philippines, Japan. We had 11 listeners in Afghanistan, of all places. Okay, now, so a thought has just occurred to me. Okay. I thought to myself, um, yeah, expats was the go-to, but um, I, I just realised why uh, this is really happening. It's people with VPNs. Um, Probably <laughs> <you're> just <laughs> rebounding around. They're all based in fucking Sydney, mate. These people, oh, mate, nobody in Afghanistan is listening to this podcast, mate. You, you don't destroy my illusions. There could be <laughs> like, Af- genuine Afghanis. As soon as you said we had listeners in Afghanistan, I'm like, this. That's no, there's not. Maybe they're just. Did we have twelve in Antarctica? You're right. They're, they're too busy <laughs> trying to stop the Taliban hanging their dissident grandmother from the nearest yard arm. Oh, here's an odd one for you, Zed, that we had one solitary listener in Botswana. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know, whoever it was, I'm assuming it's someone sitting back in 55 degree heat in Gaborone, thought, hello, what's this mildly funny and oh, occasionally geez. insightful show about sport I've never heard of? Um, I think I'll try that out. And then at the end go, this whole thing's in fucking English. <laughs> okay. Well, that wraps up another episode for this week. Thanks for listening, and please stay in touch with the show on Twitter. You can get us at at Voluntary Tackle, and it would really help us out if you could rate and comment on the podcast on Apple Podcasts. So in the words of the great Robert Mugabe, in Africa, the only warning they take seriously is low battery. Thanks, Mitch Pierce. See you next time. <laughs>